Mother's Day. Uh, welcome uh, to Christ Church. This morning we are uh, opening a new sermon series, the book of 1 Kings. It's our practice here at Christ Church to preach straight through books of the Bible because we believe that there in the Bible we encounter the living God. We also believe that a balanced diet in the Word includes time in the New Testament and in the Old. And so having enjoyed an extended period of time in John's Gospel account, we, we turn back to 1 Kings. This book is the story of the nation of Israel, of its idolatry, of its eventual division, and sadly, of its destruction. This book comes with a stark warning, but it also has a persistent tone of hopefulness, because throughout this book, it draws our attention beyond the kings of today points us to the King of Kings. Now, kids, let me have your attention for a minute, okay? Kids, I want you to listen for something in this sermon. I want you to listen, see if you can hear who is the real hero of the story, okay? And you're going to have to be patient, because <laughs> it may take you a while to hear that hero. I want you to listen. Listen for the hero. We spend time in 1 Kings. We're going we're to look to some big chunks of Scripture. That's the way it works when you preach narrative passages. But today we're going to open with four verses. This is the inerrant and infallible word of God. Now King David was old and advanced in years. And although they covered him with clothes, he could not get warm. Therefore his servants said to him, Let a young woman be sought for my lord the king, and let her wait on the king and be in his service. Let her lie in your arms, that my lord the king may be warm. So they sought for a beautiful young woman throughout all the territory of Israel, and found Abishag the Shunammite, and brought her to the king. The young woman was very beautiful, and she was of service to the king and attended to him, but the king knew her not. This is the word of the Lord. I think we probably ought to turn in prayer. Would you bow with me? Lord Jesus, we come to this passage and scratch our heads. What do you have for us here? Be our teacher, be our guide, grant us your spirit, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Well, it's a sad picture of an aging hero, and it's sad on multiple fronts. First of all, it's a picture of Aging and frailty, and that aging and frailty will come to us all. But here's the deal. 
frailty doesn't in and of itself have to be sad. We want our leaders to be, well, noble. This doesn't appear to be a picture of nobility, certainly not a nobility of character. And so what's going on here? Well, the king can't get warm. That happens with age. But in ancient Israel, there were no digital thermostats. There were no electric blankets. And so the king's advisors did what was, in their opinion, the next best thing. They went out and found a supermodel to bring to King David that, it, that she might keep him warm. The whole thing sounds creepy. And sadly, this is how the book of Kings opens. How did we get here? To answer that question, we need a little bit of biblical history. And I know that when I say that, that some of us hate history. And so let me just stop you right there. This history is entirely relevant. There is nothing new under the sun. And the history of Israel speaks to the struggle of the modern heart. And so we look back. We look back to 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 4 through 9. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. The thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them, according to all the deeds that they have done. From the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. Samuel was a prophet. He was the last of the judges. And he, he led the people, speaking to the people the word of God, but the people came to him demanding a king. But did you hear why they wanted a king? They wanted a king so that they could be like the nations. God told Samuel to do what they asked, but to warn them. You see, this wasn't a surprise to God. If we look back to Deuteronomy 17, there before the people went into the promised land, God told them what was going to happen, what they were going to ask for, and what those kings would do. The warning to them is a warning and a reminder to us. Our God is holy. And He calls His people to holiness. 
Now, to be holy is, is to be pure, is to be distinct, it is to be set apart. But instead, the people chose to conform. To conform to the nations around them, to be like the nations. Instead of holiness, they chose worldliness. And so in response to Samuel's warning in verses 19 and 20, they said they refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but there shall be a king over us that we also may be like all the nations. Persistent conformity to the world around. Story goes on. The first king was Saul. And Saul seemed to fit the part. He was tall, dark, and handsome. (laughs) No lie, that's what the Bible says, at least the tall and handsome part. (laughs) He was straight out of central casting, but the problem was his heart wasn't with The Lord, he chose worldliness. The Lord rejected him. And in his place, the Lord anointed David. Now, David's story is told throughout the rest of 1 and 2 Samuel, and it is a complicated story at best. David is the man after God's own heart, but he's also a deeply flawed sinner. Yet, different than Saul, he was also repentant. David sinned, he repented, and he was restored. And here, as we open up 1 Kings, we get a glimpse of David in his old age. But here in his old age, we we still see the flaws of the earthly king. So what's going on in this text then? And it's a picture of the aging king, but his age isn't the problem. Gray hair is meant to be a crown of wisdom, but this text is telling us that the people and David, in some sense, are still taking their cues from the world around us. What's really, what's really going on here? There's no doubt that another person's body warmth can can help to make us warm. I see that from my vantage point on cold Sunday mornings when I see you guys cuddling up together. I know you like each other, but I also know you're trying to keep yourself warm. But this is more. David's advisors are not merely trying to keep him warm. They're trying to restore his vitality. On some level, we get it. I've got a friend who studies longevity. And he shared some thoughts with me. Uh, I've taken some cues from him, and for the past several weeks, I've been taking cold showers, trying to get some vitality. Now, I'll just tell you, you jump into a cold shower first thing in the morning, and it is a shot of adrenaline. You get out of that cold, I see some of you shaking your heads, no way. But you get out, and you feel better than you can imagine. They, whoever they is, say it increases energy and mood and immunity. All of those are good things. But David's advisors opted for something else. 
They didn't search YouTube to see what would be the best solution. They, they actually, though, did look to the medical journals of the day. We've got uh, examples of ancient medical texts that actually point to this prescription. This method of restoring vitality and virility. Look, it didn't require a Miss Israel beauty pageant to keep David young. More than that, they sought out a young, beautiful virgin to stir up David. It is a picture of worldliness gone bad. Now, at that point, let me just offer a bit of a parenthetical aside but an important one at that, something that that we need to hear for this passage and something that we're going to need to keep in mind throughout our time in Kings. There are those who read this and say, aha, you hypocritical Christians, this is what your king did? Be careful. There's a difference between prescriptive texts and descriptive texts. A prescriptive text tells us what we should do. A descriptive text tells us what happened. This is descriptive telling us what happened, and what happened was a sad signal of sin. David and his advisors were taking their cues from the nations, and it led them to a process which objectified women. Abishag and all of her beauty was there to serve a purpose. And that purpose was for the personal benefit and pleasure of the king. God doesn't and God didn't condone objectification of women. In fact, it was a sign that they had run from holiness and followed after the world. He, in fact, warned them of this. The call to holiness is a call to value women as image bearers of God and as such to find in them a high and holy value. The worldliness of the nations then and now, to the contrary, cheapens the value of women and treats them as less an object. Is a descriptive sign of the nation's slide. Abishag, she'll show up again. Remember her name. Let's turn our attention to David. Closely related to this objectification of women is the sin of adultery. Now, adultery is seventh commandment do not commit adultery adultery is broadly connected to all sexual sin including fornication lust and pornography the slide into worldliness that we see here and part of that slide was 
seen in the fact that adultery was a practical means to an end in this passage. It was a sexual ethic taken from the nations around them. And yet, at the end of this passage, we read, David knew her not. He didn't consummate the act for whatever reason. And so, is he really guilty of sin here? If you step back even further, David didn't come up with this scheme, or at least the text tells us that his advisors were the ones who came up with this scheme. And so, therefore, is he free of guilt? No. Not by a long shot. Actually... This is a picture of a broader theme in in David's life and one that we will see very clearly next week as we continue in 1 Kings chapter 1. It's It's a picture of the theme of passivity. David was a mighty warrior. And yet, he could go passive when it came time to have some of the most important conversations. He seems to have passively put himself in the way of sin. Today in the second service, we're going to be praying over our high school graduates, sending them out into whatever comes next for them. I'm going to make a specific point of application for them that I will make for all of us when it comes to this picture of passivity in the life of David and of his advisors, and that is this, be watchful. Don't allow yourselves to passively entertain sin. Don't allow yourselves to simply be in the presence of sin, passively open to whatever comes next. A few years ago, Budweiser had a, an advertising camp, not now, but a few years ago, Budweiser had an advertising campaign for Bud Light in which they presented Bud Light as the perfect beer for whatever comes next. They were capitalizing on the theme of the age, the theme of passivity. Commercials celebrated, I won't even call them men, I call them guys. The commercials celebrated guys who didn't commit to anything but were simply available for whatever good time came their way. We see that in David. We know it's wrong. Something is deeply wrong when the king passively puts himself in the way of whatever sin his advisors will bring his way. God created him. And God created us. Not to be passive, but to take a stand. To live with intentionality. High school graduates and all of us. God created you to take a stand. I created you to be young men and women who live with intentionality, not with weakness. 
rather than objectifying women, stand up and celebrate them as co-heirs in Christ. Beware. This is a passive slide towards sin. We see it in the opening verses of this book. It's a picture of weakness that most certainly will set up the action that will follow. And it serves as a warning to us. That warning, though, is ultimately a matter of kingship, which begs a question for us. Who will be king? Because the central question in this book, and it is also the central question of the Christian life, who will be king in my life? Who will sit on the throne of my life? The outline I have for you in this passage is the outline of the entire book. It's a warning to the people of God. And while there is a warning embedded in that question, there is also a call to hope. A hope. It is founded in the promise of God. Did you happen to see King Charles' coronation? Did you happen to listen to any of the liturgy? If you didn't, I'll recommend some of the highlight videos rather than going back and watching the whole thing. The highlight videos will get you what you need to see. The liturgy. Actually rich and God exalting. At the point of the actual crowning, the Archbishop of, of Canterbury picked up that crown, he raised it up, and he prayed a prayer of blessing, praying, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, bless this crown and sanctify Charles. That he might be crowned with God's gracious favor. He might be filled with abundant grace and princely virtues through him who lives and reigns supreme over all things. One God forever and ever. We hear those words and we know Charles's background. But in those words there's a, there's a, there's a sense of hope. Now we know Charles's life has been... A mess? He seems to be a self-centered adulterer. Does that sound familiar? In his crowning. There's, there's some, some tinge of, of hopefulness. But what basis is there for that when it comes to the crowning of King Charles? Not much, really. What about here? What about here and in the coronations that will follow throughout this book? I asked the question earlier, how did we get here? The first readers of 1 Kings would have also been asking that question, not how did we get here in these first four verses, but how did we get here at this stage of our lives? 1 Kings was 
was written during a period of biblical history known as the exile. We will see as we make our, our journey through 1 Kings, a time when the nation would, will eventually be divided. The northern kingdom of Israel will be led by a series of bad kings. There is not one good king among them. And they follow after the sin of idolatry and the nation follows them. And eventually in the year 722 B.C. they were destroyed by the Assyrians. The southern kingdom of Judah had a couple of good kings interspersed among the bad ones. So they held out a little longer. But eventually in the year 586 B.C. the nation of Judah, the city of Jerusalem, and the temple itself was destroyed by the Babylonians. And the people of God were taken to Babylon in exile. The people there in exile in Babylon would have read this book and would have asked themselves, how did we, the chosen people of God, get here? First Kings was written to answer that question. First Kings was meant to show them and us the impact of this generational slide toward idolatry and worldliness. It's meant to show them and us the impact of leaders who turned after other gods. And it's meant to show them and us that the God who chose them is the God who sovereignly brought about their destruction. God didn't sleep late that day. He brought this about. They and we needed to see this long line of kings who turned away. And they and we need to feel the weariness over their sin. But that weariness is also what leads them to hope. Because the same God who brought about destruction is the God who brings about restoration. The God of the exile is also the God of the return. Because our God is steadfast. He is faithful even when his people are not. As we continue to make our way through the book of 1 Kings, the question I promise you will not be, why did God choose to destroy this people? It will be, why did he allow them to remain so long? For that answer, we turn to 2 Samuel chapter 7. This is 12 through 16. This is God's promise to David. And to his people. And to us. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. Who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father. And he shall be to me a son. 
When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. There was a partial fulfillment in the days immediately following David's. The kings came and kings went. And none of them could fulfill the forever promise of this covenant. The hope that we find in God's promise is not founded upon Samuel. The hope that we find in God's promise is a hope for the true king. The Davidic kings, they simply continued the line until the true son of David would come. Kids, I asked you who is the hero in this story. You have not heard his name yet. The hero in this story? The king who would come. The hero in this story? Jesus. The king of kings. He is the one whose only passivity was his passive obedience in receiving a punishment that he did not deserve. He did not commit iniquity, but the Lord still disciplined him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. And because... He passively, willingly accepted our punishment by His stripes. We are healed. So friends, throughout 1 Kings, we will hear this constant warning of worldliness. But we will hear the hope of heaven. In the person of Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, it will constantly draw us to Him. Dear friends, all who by grace have placed their faith in Jesus Christ alone will receive this healing that comes from Jesus Christ, our King. Our God is holy. And he calls his people to holiness. And our God is steadfast. He is faithful even when his people are not. His grace is the basis for our holiness. And so let us resist the pull of worldliness. Let us cling to the hope and to the holiness. That we have in King Jesus. Would you bow with me? Lord Jesus, we we rejoice. We rejoice in you. You are the better king. You are our king. 
you reign. And so reign in our lives. Do this, we pray, for your glory and our good.